What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It presents Marvel Pair Up, the history of Marvel movies outside of the MCU. That's right. We are back. If you've been following our history of sitcoms through WandaVision, buddy cop films with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and time travel films with Loki, we are here for a fourth miniseries chronicling every week of Marvel's What If, their animated series on Disney Plus about what if other things? Uh, I don't know how else to say that in a quick pitch. There's a comic book based off of it where each one is just simple ideas of what if Spider-Man had Doctor Strange's abilities? What if Black Widow this? What if Spider-Man was a real spider? The Marvel animated universe kicks off with what if Captain America was Sharon Carter as Captain Carter and so on and so forth for the next 10 weeks. And we will be pairing each one up with a small history of the... I guess Marvel movie universe pre the MCU. Now that the, you know, timeline is shattered, the multiverse is open. We thought it would be a great time to look back at things that for a while we thought were on the cutting room floor and now kind of exist because anything and everything is possible in the vast world of the multiverse. Thanks to Sylvie and all the hard work she did to regain these rights. Although the Hulk rights are still at Universal, but of course, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is Jamie Jirak. Hello. And Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And after that long-winded intro of what our show is, I am here to tell you that we are starting off with What If Episode 1, Captain Carter, and the history of Captain America on the silver and big screen, and the long road it's been to get to where we are. (laughs) The crazy thing about almost all of these characters is like in my dumb brain, there were a few tries in the 70s and 80s, and really it's Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. But the truth is that we were doing this in black and white serials back when movies were out before the theaters, and we will get to all of that here. But first, guys, what if is here? What did we all think of Captain Carter? Go. Well, you know, I didn't love it, but that is because uh, the first Avenger is not really my favorite movie. And this was very much just, I know, I know. It's, it's just like, was just really similar to that movie. Um, but uh, I, I like Beefy Peggy. It was cool. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where the show's going to go. It wasn't like, I was like, this isn't for me. I hate it. It was just that first episode is really based in one of my lesser favorite Marvel movies. Yeah, that'll do it for you. Um, I really like First Avenger. Um, uh, Joe Johnson and I love the Rocketeer. I love that old school style of filmmaking. That's pretty much what that movie is. So yes, uh, I enjoyed this. I also did not love it, however. Um, and my reason is because as much as I do love the First Avenger, there's a lot that they go through in that that movie. Um, and it's a, a good, almost just under around two hours whereas this film tries to this cartoon tries to shove all of that in 30 minutes and it breezes by a lot of things where i'm like ah i wish we could spend a little bit more time here i wish we could do a little bit more more play with this a little bit more and we get in and get out of stuff very fast and so by the time that it's over i'm like i I want i want more of her and I know we're never, well, I know this she's season, we're not coming back to this. We may we're get back get to this. We're going to get more Peggy. She's, yeah. we're, she's the one character we're like for sure going to get again. Um, but I can, watch, I can watch and listen to Haley do literally anything. So give me all the Carter. Uh, I just wish we got more of it this time. But the animation on this looks fantastic. I really dug it uh, as far as the animation style. Well, I loved it. I loved the animation. I was all in. I've been in on this premise since the jump. It's probably been the Marvel show that I have looked the most forward to. I love alternate universes. I love weird what if this, what if that, who if this. I've loved as far back as when video games do nonsense with it. The comic book, of course, does it. DC loves to do it. I think some of the best stories in comics are often where we just throw out the continuity and we do things that are very off the beaten path, like the White Knight or Spider-Man Blue or any of the Marvel What If comics. So when we got here, I also am a big animation nerd. And I think one thing I like about animation with superhero stories is there's so much in comic books that require a astronomical budget. 
And with animation, I can just kind of watch a comic book. And as fun as it is to see these things real, I sort of like that we can just have a squid monster. We can just go to space. We don't need to worry about all of these other things and if it'll look good and if the CGI will age poorly and if Galactus will just be a cloud and all of these other things that sort of accumulate in live action issues that we used to have up until really recently. And by recently, I guess now I mean like 20 years. 15 years, yeah. (laughs) We're not 90s kids. We're just 30-year-old adults. Uh, But even from the jump, Terrence, I do agree with you. When it started, I was getting a little worried about the pacing because it was really montage-y. And what kind of bummed me out was how much I liked the animation, the story, the voice acting talent, and everything else around it that I also very much felt that this could have been a 90 minute episode. We could have do a whole show here because then my brain also is like, okay, is Steve about to become the winter soldier? And we're going to have some weird Iron Man winter soldier. And if that's true, what is civil war going to look like? And if that's true, then what is infinity war going to look like? And if that's true, like is her Sam Wilson, just Sam, or is it somebody else? And all of these other kind of things that started to think about that. Obviously we're not going to do in a 30 minute cartoon. Really what I'm asking for is like five seasons of a TV show. And I'm not (laughs) going to get that for any of this. But once it kind of worked itself out, because what I did also dig was this almost Twilight Zone-esque um, end caps. The start and the end of it very much had a welcome to the stories of the Twilight Zone, these anthology kind Jeffrey of bookends. Wright. Yeah, I definitely, I, I had goosebumps with Jeffrey Wright's voiceover, especially the point was like, and this is the moment it changed. I was like, huh, yes. And look, no disrespect to Loki and Kang, but we explained the multiverse way more efficiently than that finale did. Uh, But once we kind of got going and we sort of got through what is really the first act of Peggy's story, which in this is like 10 minutes, which is a third of the show. I loved it. I loved the action. It really seemed, and this is, I think, one of the challenges we're going to see, right? my roommate kind of pointed it out. It seems like the serum affects her differently because she's doing stuff and throwing tanks and things that even when Steve does, he struggles a bit. When he grabs the helicopter in Civil War, there's a big pull. She's like whipping things around like it's nothing, which I like and it's cool animation and it's fun to see, but I was like, oh, that is going to be... It'll be like watching the Clone Wars Star Wars show and all of a sudden they're like Hulk jumping and I'm like, well, Obi-Wan and Anakin never do that right. in the live action iterations, which I think is just part of the freedom of the medium, which doesn't bother me too much until someone is like, hey, we're it was way little, differently. The whole sequence, which I thought was amazing with uh, her riding the back of, of Mr. Stark's new invention and then like jumping through a, a helicopter and like floating through the air and doing all this. I was like, this is dope as shit. What is her power set? Because <laughs> this seems to be a lot more than what Steve could do. But that's <laughs> almost been the case, I think, with everybody else. Like, you almost get the sense that Steve, like, holds back a little bit, where I think when, like, everybody else who's gotten some version of the serum is, like, doing things that he's not doing. So I'm sure there is some like, well, you know, but also he was like a skinny little boy from Brooklyn and she is already a normal sized woman. Yeah, I would say both Bucky and she are actual normal size and actual hand to hand combatants before. Yeah, Steve was just like, I've never done this before. It's like if I lift weights and Terrence lifts weights, like he's still going to look better than I am at the end of that workout. His default is larger than mine. Uh, but everything else I loved. I loved the ending. I liked this weird portal with what I'm assuming is uh, like that Doctor Strange Shogroth villain who I mostly know from Marvel versus Capcom. But I'm assuming that that's what that was supposed to be, this weird squid creature that then spits her out. And I was like, I want to see her Avengers. Because I immediately was like, well, now that the Iron Man kind of exists, right? is Tony going to be like suited up? Or is he not even going to be in play? Is there not even a need for Tony to go to the desert and become Iron Man? Like, I I have so many other questions about this one piece of the world. 
that I'm probably never going to get. I will never get an answer for. Is I actually don't know this. Is is each episode its own that, multiverse, or that, is this one whole? That was about to be my follow up to the yeah. to that question too, because there's on truthful because it seems like the way that the watcher is explaining it is that what happens here directly affects what happens in the rest of with the rest of the watchers, and like because of that. I do know that the the Tony sequence that we've seen in some of the, com- the, the trailers, trailers he, Killmonger. Killmonger comes in and he has mm-hmm. still has the piece. So I, it, it is interesting to see. I don't know if that's going to play one on one, whereas like Iron Man already exists. So Tony is still the rich kid and doing stuff because his brain doesn't change. But I don't necessarily know if he has to. I'm going be that to guy assume anymore. no, only because zombies are coming. It's a good point. And I don't know that zombies, unless we're really going to be like. The Avengers are zombies. T'Challa's in space. Yeah. And like the Guardians come to Earth and do more than the Avengers would have done. That's a good point. Yeah, and but Steve Rogers is also a zombie and a super yeah. soldier. So I think my guess is no. Yeah, uh, you're probably right. I think you're probably right. But this is what I said when we were watching Loki. And I was like, I need some like Earth 1007. I need some designations. Give me a marker. We, yeah. We <laughs> could start, we, you know, it'll get complicated, but we could start weaving in and out of certain worlds because, you know, Marvel's done what Marvel does right now. I go, but I want, I want all of it now. You've yeah, because you could easily, like, bitches. if your next three episodes are like doing different stuff, like, all right, in episode six, we're going to go back to the same world or Earth that the first episode is. And like, all right, cool. I'm fine with that. Just give me a marker so I know where I'm at. Um, yeah. Well, guys, that is where we are with Captain America. We now have two versions of the character running in Marvel continuity, Sam Wilson and Sharon Carter, two incredible characters that I love that have the shield. We've watched Steve's journey since 2011 through the Avengers, through three movies, all successful, all giant, better than I think we ever could have predicted them being. But let's go back to a much not simpler time at all. (laughs) A time when neither of these characters probably would have ever even been given a chance to be on screen. I'm of course talking about the World War II era of films. The first opportunity to make Captain America only three years after he was created in the comic books a Republic Productions serial. Now there's a lot to talk about with just that production, but I think to really understand it and what's gonna make our episode a bit longer, so like buckle in, is sort of understanding what both the film serials are and who Republic is. Because even I, as a film student and working in the industry, have always just sort of been like, the serials, they played them and they were shorter, you know? You'd go in with your newspaper and they'd show you a sports reel and a film reel and a Barabons reel. And... But of course, the film serials were a time really before television, even further back than the 40s, where we would put a cheaper, more genre-specific type of thing before your movie think old Looney Tunes cartoons, Flash Gordon, anything pulpy, and what really drove this medium were genre picks. Your sci-fi pulp hero movies, your Western movies, jungle adventures, horror movies. And this was because they were cheaper to produce. And as a result, you could kind of make bigger things in shorter windows as opposed to a long running thing where your budget would blow up, you can blow your whole budget quickly and make something really cool and compact. And they were kind of used at the time, movie theaters were your air conditioning. You spent all day there. We'd have intermissions, shows would go on forever. So it kind of filled in time because there wasn't much to do unless you had one of those wheels with a stick that you pushed around or a bag of jacks. Otherwise you were <laughs> at the movie theater. And as a result of that, you know, you started having long running serials like television, episodic things, 12 to 15 minutes. There'd be six, seven, eight of them. This is why now even some of the old Batman serials, they kind of look like a feature when they're stuck together. But in fact, they played more like a, well, like a television show. I almost had a Netflix show, but broken out. But <laughs> like, like a there mini was... series. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know how Netflix has episodic creations. <laughs> oh, uh, God. And around the time of World War II, as with many things, like we talked about in our WandaVision show, we started to reflect the time. And of course, we were getting more and more 
America heroes and propaganda and go and fight the fight. And as a result, we started switching from sci-fi to crime detectives, masked vigilantes, people who represented something. Batman was a big one, a huge one, but this was also a, a different Batman who had a rank in the army. I think he was a colonel. Everything kind of twisted and that's where Republic came in because they weren't even Marvel and DC yet. It was timely comics. It was whatever DC's brand was at the time, but all of these things didn't even exist as we knew them. So Republic was able to do things like the adventures of Captain Marvel, who we might know now as Shazam, or the Spy Smasher, who was another big, like, we're gonna go beat the Nazis villain. So of course, they would produce these to pretty decent success, but they would change whatever they wanted. There was no need for them to follow any of these comics. Some of them were even new. So towards the end of World War II in 1943, they of course released the Captain America serial, changing everything they could about the character. He's yeah. now in the DA office. He has a secret identity. He's finding a museum villain. He's shooting a revolver. There's no shield. There's no serum. And of course, Timely Comics reached out and said, we didn't know you were doing any of this. Stop. And because we didn't know how contracts worked then, Republic was able to go, we don't have to do that. that See ya. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. That, that Can you imagine that today somebody just makes a Marvel movie? We're just going to take the title. We'll use it as our little our logo. And then we're going to remove everything else that's about this. Guy's name is like, I think, Grant Gardner or something. Like, this is nuts. None of yeah. it makes any sense. Grant Gardner in the DA's office. It's like if Harvey Dent had a secret identity we didn't know about. <laughs> you know, not the loud, obvious alternate identity. <laughs> a quiet, calmer one. Uh, but of course, Timely was furious. And what ended up ultimately killing republic and this medium wasn't timely comics but time itself because of course towards the end of world war ii is when every television state every house in america rather started getting tvs there stopped being a need to go to the theaters to watch these kind of black and white serials color was just a few decades away but this movie was as a result of this the most expensive serial that was ever produced, the biggest budgeted one. This would be like if Endgame came out and we all just stopped going to the theaters <laughs> immediately after, which kind of happened for different unrelated <laughs> for, reasons. For unrelated reasons. <laughs> but so as a result, this seven arc serial sort of died on the vine. It lost more money than any serial ever did. Republic stuck around for a little bit longer. There wasn't even an attempt to make a Marvel property until PBS on the, the electric train station, the electric company on PBS, the children's programming, had a Superman short version in it. We wouldn't see a theatrical movie until Howard the Duck, which we will cover in this show eventually. <laughs> it, it, an absolutely fascinating thing that we went out with Captain America when he was at his prime at the end of World War II and the medium just vanished for years. Yeah. Did you guys have any experience with serials? Are you familiar with them? I feel like Jamie would love them. No, I, yeah, not in like those like old timey, you know, black and white, you know, the classics going like the theater. Um, the closest I have are watching like miniseries as when I was a kid, like the Tenth Kingdom and things like that, but but not anything from that era. Um, mine mostly the, the main one that I have, as I'm aware of, is was Dick Tracy. That was a pretty big serial back then. The Shadow too, to a lesser extent, but Dick Tracy was like the biggest one that I was I was pretty pretty aware of. Um, but I know that they were cranking those out like back in the, even their Batman serials toward the beginning, like the very beginning of that. Like it's, I was known for those little short little clips and I, and I, because I was a kid watching some of this stuff, I always thought it was just like one big film or one big thing, not realizing that these are all little short segments. So I, I am enthralled by this whole little like, oh yeah, these were like little pieces of short content that they were yeah. basically like. Tubi or, or or Vine or some stuff. And they, were, they were doing that back then. It's like, let's just piece all this together and make this one big content with property IP, which is fascinating. Well, it really I learned this. I learned this this go around because I was going to watch the 40s Captain America. And then I'm like, oh, it's four hours long. Uh, I, I can't do that. I don't even actually know if it's available. I jumped right into the 70s 
because it is it was such a different way to do it. It does feel more like 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 a HBO limited series kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a very interesting practice. I mostly associate it with like Looney Tunes and old cartoons and like people playing the piano live with it there. And I think I have a weird nostalgia for it because when I was growing up with certain cartoons and shows, they would use it in their product. So it's not like real serials. It's the like the nested ones. But even like Cartoon Network kind of did this with like Dexter's Lab would play and then they would have the Super Friends in the middle. Powerpuff Girls would play and they would drop like a backdoor pilot for a new cartoon. So I feel like for a while there was always this mini version of something that you got when you were there. And I've always loved it. I, I still now I'm like, I don't need to watch 10 trailers I've seen. But if there was just some like Flash Gordon serial in the IMAX before Fast and the Furious, I would love that. That would be I, so cool. I that's why I wanted you guys to get to the new Beverly out here in LA because before every movie they show like a little like Looney Tunes short or like a Three Stooges or you know just some sometimes like old ass interviews and then they show a bunch of like old trailers. It's it's, it's it feels like that kind of old experience. Yeah, that's exactly what they're selling there, and I love that. Like I've never been, but I really want to go just to experience this like crazy just binge session of old nonsense that we'll never do that way anymore. <laughs> yeah. But then that brings us to the seventies, the wonderful, wonderful seventies. And as I said before, a movie would not be theatrically released until Howard the duck. And you might be going, but why Blake, there are two captain America movies here because those were not released theatrically except for kind of. <laughs> <laughs> So the next attempt at adapting Captain America was in 1978 with two made-for-TV movies that premiered in the same year, which is another practice that I'm like, we don't do that anymore. No. That's, they were titled Captain America and Captain America Death Too Soon with the number two. Because any trope you think you hate now, we've been doing we've for been doing decades. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> These were a direct result of Universal TV acquiring the rights to Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, The Incredible Hulk, and Captain America. And instead of just rushing any of the series, they made movies to see what would work. Of course, Lou Ferrigno's Incredible Hulk is the famous one that worked, and the other three, no one talks about until today. <laughs> the, this was a little bit closer to the comics. He had, you know, he is a well, man the out second of- second one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, now like he has the serum. There's a shield. Yeah, there are more hints to like this is what we're. That, yes, it's the, the the first one is interesting because it, like it doesn't feel comic booky at all. It's more. It's like a. It's like a really bad Columbo episode where he's just kind of trying to solve a murder. Um, like I'd rather watch Columbo, and it's like his his father was the original Captain America. And now Steve Rogers is like inheriting, he, because he shares his dad's DNA, he's the only person who can take the serum now. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite is the shield. It is the flimsiest thing I've ever seen. It's like, uh, I can't think of like the material, but it's, it's just so funny when he's throwing this thing. You're like, this is not going to damage anybody. Yeah. Uh, that suit looked ridiculous. He was on a a motorbike the like it wasn't even a bike though it was like a a moped that he yeah. was like what is he's what? not like a scooter he's like riding yeah. a scooter out the whole time with this giant clunky helmet yeah it's so awesome like <laughs> i love stuff like this it, it can't exist anymore no like, it cannot there's no way like we one we don't even like adapt properties this way where we're like i don't know i but guess this is what they did it's interesting to me that like every attempt at adapting this character post the serials kept clinging to one aspect that the new mcu movies kind of don't do they do a little bit in the first avenger in that captain america steve rogers is an artist all of these are like well you know he's an artistic soul thrust into battle and i'm like that's kind of one thing he's drawing in the first avenger and he's got that same drawing on his desk in civil war so it's there 
I am obsessed. So the second movie, The Death Too Soon, was I liked that one so much more. I feel like the first one's boring; you can skip it. But Death Too Soon, the, the real uniform in that one. I was like, yeah. oh, why, why was this a? Ch- you shot this the same time. Why was this not the choice? <laughs> like a weird upgrade. But my favorite part of the whole movie is Captain America is just chilling in a park, painting a cat. The cat's just sitting, uh, sitting there posing for him, and he spends a lot of time with his cat. Uh, and he's, uh, and then he's like, at one point he paints an old lady, and he like saves her from a purse snatcher. Uh, but the, but Death Too Soon also rules more because Christopher Lee. I see, you, you put Christopher Lee in there, and some, that's going to be some bomb shit. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. All of these Universal <laughs> properties have weird talent, like just insane, who just shows up in these. <laughs> But this is also interesting because this is really the first time that we adapted the character the way that we know him now. Because like even in the comics back in the 40s, he's not a man out of time. He's just a man in time. And I, right. you know, if you know kind of the history of those comics, Captain America sales declined during the Cold War. They declined in the 60s. And it wasn't until I, well, at 63. So in the 50s, they were declining because it was in 63 when Avengers 4 comes out and, ah, oh, he's here and we've rebranded the character. So it's interesting that this first movie attempt, like a decade after that, in this kind of new way we know Captain America, I'm sure somebody at the studio was like, they won't buy him being unfrozen in the movie. That's not real. But we have to do, like, we'll make it the lineage. That's what we'll do. Because I feel like that was the curse of superhero movies for a very long time. It was like, well, you know, they're not going to buy it's the whole It's too far-fetched of a thing. Yeah. We can't put him in skin-tight clothes. What, are we, what he's going to make his own webs? Like, what do you... Superman's got to fight this giant robot spider. Like, right. They just won't... That's a real thing when Kevin Smith was around. I do remember uh, this. The spider, if you haven't listened to Kevin Smith's uh, stand-up, the spider story is fantastic with uh, Superman. But what's weird, to... what's weird about these Captain America movies is they come out, they, they're the literally the year after Superman. So it's like, someone has done this perfectly. Correctly. <laughs> and that was, you know, when it didn't do well, a lot of people said, well, you know, we're, America doesn't look great right now. America's uh, now, and we never did again after that. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting that they were like, well, these ideals won't be connecting with audiences. But like DC and Warner Brothers had beat you to it with Superman doing the exact same thing a year after Star Wars, when like tentpole movies existed for the first time, Jaws, Star Wars, Superman, in a way they never did, ever. Like th- those were like really the first three like summer blockbuster movies. I think Jaws is literally the first blockbuster movie mm. the way we know it today. And it's interesting that the fine people at Universal uh, who had produced Jaws <laughs> didn't see this property lining up the same way. That they, and maybe part of that is like comic books are long form and they wanted something long form. But again, Superman's over here just doing it. <laughs> like, yeah. Ironically, the other thing is now true. Where I'm like, why can't DC pull this off? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, as a kid, um, back in the day when Blockbuster existed, I actually rented this 79 uh captain america because i was just i was going through that i was like consuming anything superheroes like incredible hulk i want to see that this weird thing with thor and i said oh captain america i want to watch this got home and like they were they rented them because they released them on home video together like both one and two were together but i only remember actively watching one and it was like nope this isn't for me (laughs) like this is this is not good i don't want to watch yeah this is pretty dull i don't want to watch it so i never actually even got to the point where you actually put on the the traditional uniform because i it's like, no, nah, go back outside. This is stupid. I don't want this. You got to do it right in your pilot, guys. They're important. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't make some like not Hulk in the original Incredible Hulk show. I don't know what the disconnect was. It's also crazy that the Incredible Hulk ran that long and they couldn't get another one of these properties to work. That's what's nuts. Like there was an audience that's like, I kind of dig this. This guy turns green. I'll buy that. That's fine. His clothes keep breaking up. Nah, they won't buy if he was frozen in ice, though. <laughs> I also don't think they'll buy that he likes America. <laughs> that doesn't track. 
<laughs> None of that works. Oh, I like that though. This Steve Rogers, like he didn't want to do it. He's. It was so funny. Like he didn't have anything better to do. It was like Jules and Pulp Fiction. He's like, I just want to walk the earth. He's like, I just want to drive around, just to like see some stuff. I don't really, I don't really want to get involved with anything. Uh, which is a very hilarious Steve Rogers attitude. It's a completely I antithesis like the of patriotic. Yeah. That that's the Captain America that Steve becomes when he goes back in time to another universe in Endgame. And he's like, I don't need to be Captain America here. I'm just going to paint this cat, drive my motorcycle around, and be with my lady. And that's how we're going to do it. And then some guy is like, you're the only one with the genetics that this serum will work on. And he's like, how do you know that? <laughs> This is my what if pitch. Like, look, it's going to be yeah. the 70s Captain America, but it's our Steve Rogers that went there. I, I like think it. it would be great. And then that brings us to one of the longest roads in the 90s. <laughs> Another one where I'm like, I could sit here for a whole podcast and we could talk about the history of canon films and it would be great and you would learn a lot, but we're not going to do that. Universal owned these rights. They wanted to make a movie. They were going to do it. They had it planned. Jeff Bridges was going to be Captain America. Peter Fonda was going to be Red Skull. I mean, we were hyped. And by we, I mean anybody who wasn't me and was alive at that time and following <laughs> movie news. I got hyped reading that sentence. Though. I know. I was, it was like, like, oh, yeah. man, I want a dope 1980s Amblin S cap with Jeff Bridges and Peter Fonda. That sounds amazing. That it amazing. probably would have been weird and gritty, like Escape from New York. Oh, but that movie never got made. And that's where the history of that ends. It just didn't happen. <laughs> and the rights were then sold to the Canon Group, who are known very well for almost making a Wolverine Storm movie, a Spider-Man movie before James Cameron got those rights. Uh, they made the Masters of the Universe movie, I believe, just a litany of terrible, terrible movies. <laughs> Their yeah. whole thing was just buying up rights. I want all the IP. <laughs> and then just not give it a crap. <laughs> it's a fascinating way to run a business. <laughs> and so then it gets sold to the Canon Group and several writers come and go, several directors, every actor in Hollywood reads this script. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody cares. Superhero movies are kind of not really there in the 80s. I mean, no. for all of the insanity that was the 80s outside of Batman at the end of it, I can't it's really think end. of one. Yeah. No. Like you had these Superman movies that got bad. You mm -hmm. had the Incredible Hulk on TV and that was kind of it. Yeah. Uh, we were about to have a renaissance of it in the 90s with animation and kids programming and then it was all going to take off. But Captain America was not part of that plan. So then... The one of the heads of Cadden Group is let go, Menaheim Golan, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he got to keep the film rights when he went to 21st Century Film Corporation, which is not 20th Century Fox, but I see why you might be confused. <laughs> and as part of his severance package, he got to keep the rights to Captain America. I just love that these rights were passed around like cigarettes in a prison. <laughs> like no one wanted them no one wanted them it's and look so at now, crazy. looking at like the the wars like the sony disney and everything it's like it's time yeah. oh now you can if you have a marvel character that's not part of marvel studios now you clutch on like you universal's never gonna make a hulk movie ever but they're gonna keep that title till they die like it's crazy. Namor is somewhere over there, yeah. I think. It's it's wild. Uh so they wanted this movie to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Captain America. What a fun thing that would have been. Nope. <laughs> uh it did not make this date and would then alter its debut to a direct-to-video with foreign it wasn't even an american release it was yugoslavian it came over here on laserdisc and vhs and dvd it's like part italian it's part american yeah, it's, it's, it got it's fascinating that this got a first release in the uk about a u.s comic book movie. It, like wait what what I love the most about this movie, and I love it with a lot of movies, is it's so hard to find any concrete 
information about its production. Like everyone's like, I don't know, somebody had cameras in a cap costume and they just rolled. I enjoyed watching this one. That's what's uh, weird about this movie. I actually didn't hate it. I was yeah, like, this is actually- like, It's not good, but no. it's entertaining. It's yeah, very and, 90s. Like it feels very much in that late 80s. Now I was like, oh, this is yes. in that wheelhouse. And I could see that if somebody had the property cap, this is what they would end up with. Like this sort of makes sense. It's hilarious that Red Skull's Italian and uh, and he has a really hot daughter. Uh, and it's so, but what I, what I was really surprised about this movie and why I think it pairs perfectly with What If is because the first like 20, 30 minutes Feels are just like what we got from it's first the story Avengers we know for the yeah. most part i mean it the the him the him in the room becoming cap really is similar and, but a weird thing somebody makes a comment in the room and they're like well he's not going to be superman but he is this and and i'm like i i feel like superman as a as a as a comic book exists in this movie not the character superman but it was really weird hearing the it name was, superman it was spider-man sam Raimi's spider-man does that too is that well you're not superman you know yeah and it's like oh it, this exists as a comic strip in this world not as superman Which, as an actual person i think yeah. both marvel and dc have a history of like in their comic shops you see the other company's characters which is cute that's kind of like stallone and arnold's yeah like, last like we'll hero. We'll still give you a nod. Like, we see yeah. you over there. We respect that. Yeah. yeah. I uh, was really surprised. I didn't expect. So, like, the first 30 minutes or whatever, he's, you know, he's it's in the 40s. He fights Red Skull. Red Skull looks so cool. I was mad that they made him, like, have plastic surgery so he was no longer red. They're like, like, we only got, really cool. got $100,000 to do yeah. this. <laughs> no, no. I'm confident somebody on that set was like, it worked for Joker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they um then they they go through time he does get frozen in ice and then he's he's in 1990 uh, which i did not expect i thought that whole movie was going to take place in the 40s and all of a sudden it's like oh the year i was born it uh, definitely sets here. it up that way because it opens and like it's like you're in italy like you're looking at castles and when oh okay this is what we're doing it's like nope here we are present day I'm like oh how did we okay cool 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 i don't know how we got here i i really dug and it's it's, it's it's poorly done, but it, I actually, for some reason, it worked for me. The whole uh, him going up to his old girl's house and him seeing him and her whole interaction with him because they're having a conversation. All of a sudden, she's like, I'm old. And, and I was like, oh, oh, damn. <laughs> it's cute. I mean, very uh, Winter Soldier. Very it is. Peggy and Steve. Like, it like, is. I, this, this, I felt like, what if Stanley Tucci's character was a woman? What if Red Skull was Italian right. and got fucked somehow and had a daughter? Um, you know, like wh what if uh, wh what if Captain America's go-to form of escape was pretending he was getting car sick, getting someone to get out of a car? <laughs> when it happened once, I'm like, cool. I was, oh, this is his shit. He's he doing this. <laughs> he did that two times. Comedy works in threes. Where's that third one? I know. <laughs> I know. I really, really hope that Marvel starts mining some of their own like kooky history as we get deeper and deeper into what if. Uh, but that was the 90s. I'm with you. I think it's fun. I think it's campy and weird and wacky. And it's the kind of comic book movie that I'm really glad exists because now like we've kind of got them down and like Marvel has its formula and now they're playing with their formula in very interesting and unique ways. And like DC's doing their thing and we've got R rated ones and we've got G rated ones. And we've got animated ones, but nobody's really just like, I don't know, fuck it anymore. Like this. And I kind of miss, like I miss that era of movie in general. Like nobody really makes a like a B horror movie anymore. Now people make like no guys, it's like a B horror movie, and right. I'm like, yeah, but you have eighty million dollars, super polished. Yeah, right. that's one right. of the reasons why I love the Love Witch because it really looks like it was made in the sixties. Yeah, uh, that's one. That's one of my favorite movies of the past decade because it's like, whoa, it looks like. Annabella made this. The only reason you know it wasn't made in the sixties because you can see new newer cars right. in the background of scenes. And um, and I really like when you can get the visual style down. It's it's so cool. But for the most part, yeah, it is just like even like Grindhouse. As much as I love Grindhouse more than anything, it is you know it's it's not 
Tarantino makes a choice halfway, like in the beginning of Death Proof, where he's not doing that anymore. It's like the camera mm. switches, and all of a sudden he's it using much a regular more camera. Current, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, I have to assume that anybody listening to our show is old enough to know this history because I'm an old man, and 1990 was the year after I was born. I'm just going to do bullets in our MCU journey because it's it's long and it's crazy, but it's not canon group universal tv republic crazy now we get into like regular hollywood bullshit now we just get into the stuff we're hearing now where it's like i don't know someone's developing teenage mutant ninja turtles 4 with the original costumes and that script's been getting passed around for decades jim and i man was a 1990 film that we didn't make forever like now we're just getting into regular variety deadline nonsense yeah so this movie does what it does, which is not much at all, um, at all. Like it sort of just was a blip on the, like most canon group films. It's like the, you found them in the back of comic book trading card stores and someone was like, I've got it. <laughs> and that's, yeah. And that's how yeah. you watched it. It was awesome. I love, it's how people also used to discover like old horror. You'd stay up and record it at 1.30 and then go to school the next day and be like, guys. Yes, yes, I got <laughs> like, it. Yeah. Like this is going to be dope. Um, and I miss that world. I miss that world so much. But then it's 1997. And of course, everybody likes money. Marvel is now, they're doing what they're doing as a company, which is, I don't believe great in 97, but I could be mistaken. I think they were struggling with that. I point. think that's yeah. around the time where they were just selling their movie mm-hmm. rights, like Pokemon cards, not like Pokemon cards. Cause in 97, those were a hot commodity. <laughs> um, they're breaking them all up. We don't know what's about to come. We don't know that we're going to then try to scramble to collect all of them back. We have to buy studios just to get some of these guys back at home. Um, so they've set out with Mark Gordon and Gary Levinson to produce Captain America, a standalone movie, a man out of time. They're referencing Back to the Future as an influence on the script, talking about how some of the most interesting aspects are how he's going to act in today's world after he's frozen. We're starting to understand what makes that character interesting before you get into the Boy Scout red, white, and blue stuff. At its core, it's a man out of time. And then next, he's the Boy Scout and we've got a winter soldier it up. Then in the year 2000, which is wild to think about this, we're doing this Captain America battle in the year 2000. Spider-Man is in development. The X-Men is in development. Blade has a sequel. I say we're on our second. Yeah, so we're on our second Blade. We are. We're cooking now. Like everybody's moving, and yet we can't get our boy in blue a <laughs> movie deal. And part of that is because they entered into a lawsuit in the year 2000 with Joe Simon over the ownership of the character, and any and all development has halted. And to this day, we're still not paying our creators properly. <laughs> Like at all. It's terrible. $5,000. Yeah. If you thought of the story and they make your movie, get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. Uh, we've swore more on this one than any of our other ones. <laughs> and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then in, two, in 2003, this lawsuit gets settled and they are set to produce the movie with Warner brothers, which to me is insane to think about. It's crazy. Because yeah. in 2003, Warner Brothers is like, where even are they? Batman Begins is about to, is like that's it's like script to start two years, years away. away. Yeah. yeah. So like that seed is planted. Where there's like a world where Warner Brothers almost just had all of them. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, they were definitely, this was definitely around the time where they kept trying to do, like Kevin Smith's going through that Superman battle because they'd been trying to do Superman live. Like the Nick Cage one was around and bubbling around that time, and, but never and, got off the ground. Uh, this is 03 so like spider-man 2 is about to come out mm-hmm. x2 is out like right. we, we're That's rocking all i was doing in 03 was Ooh. watching my x2 dvd yeah super like the angry, the angry hulk was yeah. had just dropped yeah it's we're, a lot of stuff we're now in the era starting with the x-men where summers until the year of covid summer blockbusters opened with a superhero movie Correct. that first week of may belonged to super it says somebody in a suit right like so we're here now warner brothers is about to get it until david masel a hollywood producer said marvel do it yourselves just what are you doing why do you need any of this like what are you doing so then 
the seed is planted for the MCU. And in 2005, a few years before Iron Man, Batman Begins has opened up theaters. We're about to start the weirdest world where Marvel is about to start the MCU and DC is about to make The Dark Knight. And we're about to define superhero movies in two corners forever. And they get $500 million <laughs> from Paramount Pictures to produce not one, not two, but 10 films at Paramount, as long as they get to distribute the movies. Yeah. This is around the same time that Paramount, I believe, also made a deal with Hasbro to get all of their Transformers. This is the Transformers and G.I. Joe run. As, yeah. Which is also weird when you look like now Paramount's like Mission Impossible and Top Gun are their franchises. But there was a minute in the mid thousands where they where were Transformers like, was like, give us every toy and yeah. give us every superhero. And they yeah. were about to dominate until Disney opened up their wallet. <laughs> <laughs> but a little bit before that happened, you know, the Paramount Stars and Mountains still open up Captain America, the first Avenger. They still open up Iron Man. They don't open up Hulk. No. So Avi Arad in 2006, a longtime producer of Spider-Man, uh, sets out to make this Captain America movie for Paramount before his giant contract with Sony and before he makes every Spider-Man movie. All the Spideys. He's in, he's in it now, but he's about to really be in yeah. it. I believe he also had a hand in the X-Men movies, but I'm not 100% sure. His name, he's a producer credit on yeah. that too, yeah. He is setting out to do it. He's the one, I misspoke earlier, he's the one talking about Back to the Future. This is going to be our standalone. It's going to feel like an old Amblin movie. A Man Out of Time, how Marty did it. That's how we're going to do this movie. Which is how you get me to sign a check as an executive. You just It's going to be like Back to the Future and I give you $500 million. Take everything, please. <laughs> he originally approaches John Favreau to direct. They want it to be kind of comedic, those, those Back to the Future, Amblin vibes. At the same time, another script is getting passed around Hollywood that nobody will touch with a 10-foot pole. And we're going to talk way more about that in many more weeks. But I'm, of course, talking about Iron Man, the uninsurable star. There's no script. No one wants to do it. How are we going to make toys off of this character? Which is a stupid thing to ask about a man who has many suits. Come <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on. It's, it's in the DNA of the character. You're going to get a lot so, of toys. You know, this was going to originally have Iron Man slot until John Favreau said, ah, we're going to do Iron Man instead. The cat movie gets kicked back three years. Joe Johnson shows up. Stephen McFeely comes on to write. They're talking about the Rocketeer. Kevin Feige is now around. We're starting to build a universe. We're no longer just going to make this a standalone movie. He now has to become the linchpin of what we're going to set out to do. Then Disney cracks open their wallets and then we're just <laughs> off to the races. That's that's really it. Because it's, from it there, we just cranked these things out. Winter Soldier shows up, Civil War, Endgame, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and now Agent Carter. So I guess the question really is, where did some of these past adaptations fail and like, what do you guys think makes Captain America work? And why does Steve, Sam, and Peggy all fit the characters so well? What is it about these three characters that are worthy of the shield? I think that's a great question. I think part, I mean, I think part of it is the technology we have now. I mean, it's just, there's more you can do with those characters. And the cast, I mean, both, Captain America's of the 70s and the 90s. I, I, I watched literally two days ago and I, I forgot the actors' names. Um, the first, the 70s cap was like a himbo, weird. And then like the second cap was better, but still like there's no, there's no nuance, there's no layered. And I think that it's a lot comes down to the writing and the performances. And it's just, we're in and we, we can put more money at it. There's, and there's more interest. You, you know, back then there was no one, you know, like you said, no one really cared. So it was hard to put money into it. And I think that has a, a huge part of it. Yeah, I, I want to piggyback a little bit on the, the especially the 90s one, because he's, he's a step up from the 70s uh, cap. But I just think there's a likability that he does not have. Um, I remember more, even, and I just watched this like, like within the last 40 years, I remember more about the, out, the ancillary characters than I do about that Steve Rogers. Um, I think 
what was important for Cap to work. And same with with uh, Agent Carter. A little less with with Bucky because he's supposed to be bad for a great deal of it. But there's a sense of humility that Captain America has to have. And it feels like this, the Steve Rogers in the 90s one is very much like I'm, once he gets that, it's like I used to have polio, but now I can run and walk. I'm the shit. Like he, it, it, there's a different type of bravado, whereas Steve still feels human. He doesn't feel like he's deserving of that serum. And that's, that's what you need to have somebody who is completely like all powerful. Like there's nothing you can really do to, to harm Cap. You need to have that sort of heart on your sleeve. Like, I don't think I'm worthy of having this type of thing going on because then the audience can kind of connect to him more than they would have probably ever before. And I think that's what works now. And I think that's what works with the why these MCU films are a lot better today. We do put a character moment or a heartbeat moment into it. Whereas I think these films back in the day are like, hey, let's just get somebody in spandex and make a, a beat em up, smash em up action film. And that's just how the 90s were to an extent. Even some of the films that I love, like Batman '89, that that I means it's, it's Batman. <laughs> like that's what they're doing. It's that they don't really get into the underneath the hood of it um, much until we get to the Batman Begins era, and that's just the way that that world was. And I think that's why these films, the current day MCU films, and some of the DC ones work a little bit better. I agree, and I I think it. I think a lot about when we go back to that 1940s adaptation and World War II and these American ideals and the propaganda that we even talked about a bit on our Falcon and Winter Soldier podcast and what America represents and what Steve represents in this character. And when they were making this new one, you know, it's 2008 politics or what they were in 2008 coming off of, a, 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 it's always a crazy time. Yeah. And they asked Kevin in an interview, you know, why do you think, this character will work for a global audience that people will connect to a character so deep in American ideals and American idealism. And his response was, well, the mistake that people make is that Captain America only represents Captain America. He really is meant to represent democracy, truth, justice for, for everybody. He isn't meant to represent even like, Oh, a, a Team America World Police. We're going to go in and fix it. He represents more the idea that we can understand one another. And in that empathy, we can build a better society. This is why he brings together the Avengers. Because as kind of the World Council says to Nick Fury, they're a bunch of freaks. They're unbalanced, disjointed. It takes Cap to see past Tony's insanity and past Thor's bravado and past the Hulk's destruction. And, you know, one of the best parts in the Avengers is like, I hear you're the man to find the cube banner. Is that the only word on me? Well, it's the only one I care, about. I care about. And it's like, yeah. that's such a Captain America moment of like, well, I don't care. He I, saves I like Bucky. Your, your fight, the Feige quote that you just said is interesting because I think that that brings it kind of full circle to Captain Carter. Like, we're not watching that and thinking like, she, Cap, we, they, they didn't call her Captain Britain, which could have been from, you know, they could have done that from the comics because I think that that's the point. It's not about one country. It's about um, doing the right thing for everyone. And I think that that, that uh, Feige, if he said that all back then, now he's getting to showcase it even more now with Peggy. And it's interesting because it does kind of go back to what that first Superman movie did so right, is they made Superman a character that's not built on his powers. That movie is about Clark Kent and who Clark is and his upbringing and why he has this willpower. And it is interesting because you then watch these adaptations where at one point we were just like, we need a guy named Captain America who fights bad guys. And then in the 70s, we kind of were just like, we didn't really know what we were doing or what we had. And I think you're right. In the nineties, we've got this, like, I don't want to say generic, but generic superhero of like, I'm bravado and I'm strong and I'm brave. And now we've now seen this character, Captain America as Steve Rogers, as Sam Wilson, as John Walker for a minute and as Peggy Carter. And it's interesting when you look at like what, who Steve is and what he represents and this like idealism and something we can all aspire to be. And we're always going to make the right call and fight for the little guy and do this all day. And like, that's who we want to be. 
but more of us are probably closer to a John Walker who's just getting pissed off and not thinking straight and making mistakes and being problematic and like his best is only so good and he just cares about a mission, not a people. And then you get to Sam and we talked a lot about Sam in, in his show, but we're going to do it again now for a minute. And it's interesting when you get to have him with the shield and what a like not white person represents for America and like what that means. And I felt like his whole arc was really like, we have to step up and be better. Where Cap as Steve was sort of like, you're all going to try to reach this. And it's just kind of who I am. Sam almost represented an ideal of like, we can all get better. Even Bucky in that arc has a lot of like, I killed those people and I hurt those people and I did all this, but like, go do the work is like the theme in Sam's. And Peggy kind of embodies another side of that coin of like, what does it really mean to be that person? You get even more into representation. We, yeah, as I say, it helps that Sharon, uh, that I mean, not Sharon, that, that Peggy is of a minority esque as, as 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 Sam is. Like, it, it, there's there's a lot of rooms where she would not have been or not was not supposed to be allowed to be in. But once you give her the serum, we're like, well, now we kind of she's gonna kick the damn door in, so we can't really keep her out. But it was fascinating, sort of seeing that her whole turnaround. Like, no, oh, you probably should you shouldn't be in this room, sir, because you don't belong here. I like that because there's a even more of a humility for people who have been given a gift and they know what it feels like to be on the opposite side where nobody gives a damn about them or they're not heard or they're not listened to. So when you give them that power set, they are even more compassionate than the straight white dude. Right. Did I say Peggy earlier when I meant Sharon? I feel like I did now that that happened. We once, we both did. We, we, okay, we've great, all done great, it. Great. The Carters. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn it, they're very different characters. And I'm like, oh God, it's so hot. LA, it's got to cool down, guys. We've ruined the environment. It's all bad. It was funny in the in the 90s camp when he like was kind of flirting with his ex's daughter. And I was like, oh God, what is it? This is apparently just Rogers a thing. This is the going thing. after these family members. He's like, you'll Look, do. Tony has a history of harassment and womanizing and problematic behavior that he corrects eventually. But Cap just keeps going for this same bloodline. He likes that bloodline. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think it's great that we've sort of now seen all the different ways you can embody the symbol of this character. And I think that's something that Marvel's doing really well is like, well, what does it mean to be Thor? Whether you're Chris Hemsworth or you know, the actor, Chris Hemsworth, who really is Thor. I see he's walking around, he's, he's Thor. <laughs> Whether you're, you know, Thor, I guess is his name. They don't use Donald Blake, but, or Jane Foster, whoever else is going to be able to pick up the hammer. What does it mean to do all of the, it's what kind of the Dark Knight Rises tries to do where it's like, well, it's a symbol and there's right. an ideology, but it's great. I mean, I, I love this long weird history of all the different times we've tried to do it and why. And it really shows you, I think what times were like similar to when we did WandaVision and it really was like, well, here's what was kind of going on and how it reflected that. And you're going to see a lot of different Captain Americas that way of like how we're represented in the world, how we see ourselves in the world and what whoever has the rights to this character at the time (coughs) thinks that he represents it's part of the fun of even the DC movies, right? Of being like, well, this Superman was great, but Zack Snyder's did this and some of it hits and some of it misses and some of it hits and misses for other people. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting to me to always see those ideals come up and what people think and just the nonsense of trying to get some of this stuff done. I mean, Universal, you had four of these characters for TV. <laughs> they just made a sitcom with the Vision and Scarlet Witch. You couldn't make Spider-Man? Yeah. But whatever. This was the show, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening. Next week, of course, is going to be um, a, a, a tougher episode, I think, to watch and talk about. We're going to see Chadwick Boseman's last performance uh, in an episode that I'm very excited for. And we'll see what we pair that up with. But that's going to be a tough one. But it's yeah. also going to be great. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, the con- just the yeah. concept alone is like, is 
because I think that was what what my struggle with this first episode was. It's so close to a movie, but but T'Challa in space, that's not in, like any movie we've well, seen. Well, I think they had to warm us up, right? Yeah, we had to kind of get ready, and now we're going to take a beloved character in a yeah. beloved franchise, and then we're going to do zombies. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was saying, then zombies. Yeah. We're just going to get crazier uh, as it goes along. Before, before we sign up, Blake, I want to say, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of what we talked about today like you you did a, like you knew your shit and uh and i learned a lot so i hope that our listeners feel the same way because i'm like i'm leaving this recording being like dang i am a captain america movie expert thanks to Blake. oh yeah they either tuned out 40 minutes ago or they loved the lesson <laughs> and if you didn't tune out you should leave us a review and a comment uh on our podcast app and on our youtube channel you should subscribe to either or both depending on how you live your life I know people are on the go again. Of course, we're going to be doing this every week for the next 10 weeks. But while we do that, Terrence and I will be doing the regular Hollywood Already Did It podcast about movie reboots, remakes, sequels, and adaptations. Uh, coming up on that soon will be Candyman, Shang-Chi, and then who knows how movies will be released <laughs> if they'll ever be back. Uh, sometimes we do another show called You Can't Do That Anymore, still about movies and movies that you may not be able to make if they're problematic or why they are or aren't problematic. Every now and then we get some that I'm like, but it's, you know, they tried and it's not that bad. If you cut out that one joke, it's still pretty good, uh, which is how a lot of people and movies are, I think. And then, of course, I do How Do You Figure about action figure and toy collecting. That should be coming up more and more. Terrence does all the other stuff on our channel, the reactions, the reviews, and Jamie, of course, works at comicbook.com and frequently is on the Phase Zero podcast. And that was our show. Please don't destroy us for saying Peggy Carter instead of Sharon sometimes. Uh, it's very hot and we're talking very quickly. <laughs> but I'm sure it won't happen again. We'll see everybody next week. Later. Bye.